What do you hunger for? Last week we asked the question, um, do you have an honest view of yourself? How would you know if you did? Um, Randy kind of explored some of that. Today we are asking the question, and it builds upon that question, what do you actually hunger for? And maybe a better way to say that, or a more kind of penetrating way to ask that question is, is what do you find most of the desire in your life aimed at? The longing you experience. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 5, and we will, uh, we will get back there in a bit. Some of you have no problem putting words uh, to this question. You could probably build a pretty comprehensive list rather quickly. And some of you... Um, would really struggle to know how to respond to that question. Um, you feel desire, um, and sometimes it gets associated with specific things, but sometimes you don't even know how to, you can't even really assign it to anything, you just, you feel it. Um, different people process that question differently. So just stop for a second, and I'm going to tell you my list, or some of the lists that I built this week, but think for a second, for the purposes of this morning, what Am I hungry for in my life? What do I assign my desire to? Here are some of the things that are on my list. For relationships. Not relationships, deep, quality relationships. I'm hungry for intimacy. I'm hungry for... I'm hungry for control. I'm hungry for money. I'm hungry for happiness. I'm hungry for a free existence. I'm hungry for security. I'm hungry for stability. I want purpose in life. I want affirmation way more than I'm willing to say. I want I want peace. I want significance. I want to be known. I want to feel a certain way about everything in my life. Those are the things I put on my list. Took me less than a minute. Holy cow. It's a lot. But this week, I have to be honest about what I want. If you have an honest view of yourself, you have to have an honest view of what you really desire. Be able to say it. What I that I truly hunger for, those are the things. I just listed them. If I can't be honest about that, what I my hunger and my desires upon, I would encourage you, and this is where we're going to go today, we are in a very, very dangerous place if we can't acknowledge this is where my desires are with ourselves because most of our lives most of my life I don't even have to talk about yours so I'll talk about mine most of my life is marked by consciously recognizing I just did that I listed things the conscious recognition or at least a subconscious so we maybe don't put words to it but we feel it a subconscious driven attempt at attaching the hunger the desire in our life to an object that we believe will satisfy that desire. 
We believe this statement. I understand my desire, my hunger, and I understand it so well that I am sure of what I need to meet that desire to fulfill it. And we spend our lives running after those things. I've told this before. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but uh, Angie Mealy, Rob, she came up. Uh, my friend and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, eighth grade, uh, I hated who I was because I was husky. Um, and uh, I ran four miles every day for an entire year to make a girl like me. And I ran in the dead of the winter in Indiana, which means I ran in a snowmobile, snowmobile suit and moon boots in snow. And my mom would drive the car behind me at like 1.8 miles an hour with the hazards on because she was afraid of me doing like Luke Skywalker in uh, Empire Strikes Back and like falling into a snowdrift and dying. And so I would literally run down Main Street of my town with my mother driving behind me with the hazards on because I wanted this girl to like me. And I got her. <laughs> but I still ached. What, wait a sec. Angie can't do it. I still had more desire, more desire than she could fulfill. Because her loving me wasn't strong enough to make me love me. So what do I do? Tried someone else. Maybe it was the wrong person. Hmm. Maybe I need to go run some more. Or maybe I was asking the entirely wrong question. So let's ask this question. And it's a question I wish I could have asked myself when I was out there running in the snow. <laughs> but I didn't learn to ask this question until my late 20s. Are all of the things that I hunger for, the list that I just listed out for you guys, the list that you have, are all of those things separate desires for individual things? Or are they many facets, the outworking of a single desire? If you don't hear any other question I ask you, this morning, hear that question. Is everything on my list, everything that I'm running after, are those individual desires attached to individual things, or are they many facets of one single desire? How you answer that question sets the course for your entire existence. And I mean that with all sincerity. Is everything I desire in life just about one thing? Ecclesiastes 3.10, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. I'd write it down and spend some time looking at it. The writer says this, this is 3.10 through 13, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in the human heart. I see the burden God has laid upon men. The burden of living with eternity set inside of your heart. He's not talking about even believers. He's talking about anyone, the human race. What does this mean? 
Well, let me give you some words for eternity. Endless. No beginning, no end. Immeasurable. Timeless. Boundless. Fathomless. Ununderstandable. Not logical. Unattainable. Eternity. Have you ever thought about that? That maybe that's what my desire is all about? If you're tracking with me, and I hope you are, my prayer is that you are, you're beginning to see the tension of what I'm talking about. We practically assign our hunger and desire, eternity, to temporal objects, things that are here. Objects that are trapped in time. Objects that are fallen as a result of sin in the world. Objects that are limited by the very fact that they are a created thing. I bring eternity to this life. It's been set in my heart. Proverbs 19.22 goes on to put a little more language to this. I'd write this one down. It says, what a person desires is unfailing love, better to be poor than a liar. Unfailing love? Someone want to come up and testify to their experience here on this world of something that has never failed them? The mic would sit up here with no one up here because everything's failed me at some point. Unfailing love, it's the same language. Eternal. What does it mean better to be poor than a liar? I'll tell you what I think it means. Better to be poor. Better to not have all of the things that you put on your list than to be a liar. Than to lie about the fact that all of those things are summed up in one single desire. I hunger to be loved in an unfailing way. And all those things in my list are just things that I believe will fulfill that deepest desire and longing, that singular desire and longing. But they don't. They don't fulfill it entirely. And we're going to talk about, well, geez, this sounds kind of drab here in a second. Uh, They can't fulfill it for the reasons I said earlier. So we have to deal with this question. Is my desire about a bunch of different things or is it about one thing? Because if it's about a bunch of different things and I can see this in my own life, then my life is marked by the pursuit of those things. I worship those things. Those things control every aspect of my life. But we never stop and ask. I couldn't do it when I got Angie. We never stop and ask when I get those things that I've been running so hard to get. When I finally have them, even shortly after getting them, I discover more desire. And so I say, what's next? Or what's different? What do I got to go get? Belinda Carlisle. Familiar with her? I would use a more modern song, but I would have to use swear words and sing about being in clubs. But... um, 
You know the song. Ooh, baby, do you? Come on. Know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven. What? Love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. When the they say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. But here's how the song really goes. Those of you who have gotten married know this. Ooh, baby, don't you know I got duped? Ooh, heaven ain't a place on earth. This guy I married is a selfish dirtbag. Oh, what the heck do I do now? What do I do now? The thing I thought I wanted. He's a dirtbag. I'm a dirtbag. A selfish one. So what do we do? C.S. Lewis. <laughs> That's an interesting transition, isn't it? <laughs> C.S. Lewis uh, treats this topic in his essay, The Weight of Glory. I would encourage you to read it. It's 19 pages long. But... Uh, it's thick. So, yeah, 19 pages of Lewis would take like 18 years to read. No, I'm kidding. It's not that. But it's a really excellent um, dialogue that he has about this topic. So hear what he says about this idea that our desire isn't about a bunch of different little independent things, but about one thing. He says this. He says, now, if we are made for heaven, the desire for our proper place will already be in us eternity in our hearts but not yet attached to the true object so I can't experience the object of my desire and the desire will even appear as a rival to that object the fact that I feel it so strongly actually makes me think well maybe it's not about that it's got to be about something else he goes on to say if a transtemporal so not attached to time a transfinite, so not finite, infinite, good is our real destiny, then any other good on which our desire fixes, it must be in some degree false. It must bear only a symbolic relation to what will truly satisfy us. He calls it the inconsolable secret. He says the books or the music, Belinda, in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust ourselves to it. Because it was not in them, it only came through them, and what came through them was longing. He says almost our whole education has been directed to silencing this shy, persistent inner voice. Almost all of our modern philosophies have been devised to convince us that the good of man is to be found on this earth. We've been taught this. We have drunk it in. 
America, in a lot of ways, sadly, is built on this. The deepest desire of your heart is here on earth. And here's even how it kind of works itself out in Western America. You can have it now, instant gratification. You can have it entirely. So no partial experience here. We can have all of it. And specifically, I think for us, you're entitled to it. You deserve it, man. You're American. I'm American, man. I'm entitled to this. The funny thing is, is that, and this is, I'm not going to talk a lot much more about this, and we're about to get into John. I would suggest that it's actually only in understanding the depth of your desire, the fact of what it's really about, the source of it, the singularity of it, that you are actually freed up in this life to enjoy the things that God has given us. Enjoy the relationships. Enjoy your job. Enjoy recreation. Enjoy serving. Enjoy the things that we do. If you start to understand this, it won't cause you to not be able to enjoy it. You'll be able to actually enjoy them for what they really are, which is foretastes of eternity, foreshadowing of what's to come, not the thing itself. If you brought every girlfriend on stage, it would take the whole stage. I'm kidding. Golly, come on. If, if you brought every girl that I dated up on stage uh, and asked them questions about how I ended our relationships or why they ended the relationship with me, uh, you would find this story is, is that I destroyed almost every relationship. Whether they dumped me or I dumped them, here was the bottom line. I brought the weight of eternity to you and demanded you meet it. So either you failed me, next, or they said, I can't handle this. You're bringing way too much to the table, and I know I can't fulfill it, so I'm out. That passage in Ecclesiastes 3, it's interesting because it says this. It says that a man's blessed if he can find satisfaction in his toil, that it's a gift from the Lord to actually be satisfied. You and my's definition of satisfaction is having something in its entirety. That's a Western mindset. Satisfaction in Scripture is not getting what you want. It's being content with what you have been given, trusting that it is what the Lord has given you, even if that's pain. 2 Corinthians 5.2 digs at this a little deeper. It says, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, Instead, with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, he's made us for this has given us the Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee of what is to come. You and I are built to groan this side of eternity. I didn't say grovel. I didn't say 
the Lord's leading us into a place of just being disgruntled individuals. But if you understand what I'm saying this morning, you'll understand that there's an ache that's not going away. And if you believe that it is, you're going to kill everything in your life trying to make it. So let's go to John 5. I promised we'd get there. We are. John chapter 5. I guess I should go there too. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you. What if I talk the rest of the time like that? John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews, and now in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for about 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. There's more to the story. We're going to stop there for the purposes of this morning. A little background. Uh, people who had disabilities, sick folks, would gather at pools um, in places, and this wasn't the only one. Uh, they would be considered like healing areas, healing shrines, uh, is what some commentaries would say, or sites that often involved pools or fountains with water that was believed in a superstitious sense to have some form of healing properties. And so these people would gather there and believe that when the waters were kind of stirred, first one in gets what he wants. These were generally associated, not always, but with the worship of other gods, Greek mythological deities. So we know this. This is why this guy's there. He's there because it's possible that maybe he would get healed. 38 years, says he's been an invalid, been a cripple. Most commentaries that I studied for this said that this was longer than the life expectancy of many people in his condition and in general in that time of the world's history. I mean, some of us, I mean, we're a fairly young congregation. A lot of you aren't even 38 <laughs> Imagine having a condition, most of you can't even think of it like this, it's hard for us to conceptualize, a condition that has been lasting longer than you've been alive. And Jesus asks him this question, do you want to get well? Isn't that a funny question? Like Jesus, he, he does a lot of this if you look at his questions. But it seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Like, yeah. I'm here laying at the pools where people maybe get healed. Of course, I want to get well. But let's just think for a minute. 38 years, guys. This is all that this man knew. This is how he got his money. If you laid somewhere for 38 years, who would you call your friends? The people who were there. This was his community. This stinks being 
an invalid, but at least I know what to expect here. If you heal me, then what? Then what would life look like? That's more terrifying to most people than staying crippled. At least this is predictable. At least I know what to expect here. I'm not going to get my hopes up. Will you heal me? Then what? What do I do? Like, what did the dude do the next day? You think he went back to the, like, back to the pool? I go back to the pool. Well, let's look at his answer. What does he say? It's funny because he doesn't even answer the question. Me either. How would that happen? Is basically what he says. I have no one to help me. If you remember last week, Randy talked about this book, Peter Block's book, The Answer to How is Yes. That we always take the big life questions and we make how questions out of them. <laughs> we see this man doing this. I have no one to help me. But Jesus isn't asking him that. He's asking him a direct, soul-penetrating question. Do you want to get well? Peter Block says that how questions are actually defense against action itself. I ask a how question because I really don't want to have to do something. So I just hide behind the how. I just don't see how that would happen, which is really like saying, I just don't really want that to happen because I'm terrified. Because then what? We don't see how it could happen. We don't understand, which makes us afraid. And we even use the how question, and we call it things like being responsible. I'm being responsible to research all the possibilities. But what we're really doing is we're hiding our demand to control our existence and not have to wake up to the depth of our desire. I don't want to be a cripple. I don't know really what life would be like not being a cripple, but I don't want to be a cripple. That is the truth. John Calvin said this, the sick man does what we nearly all do. He limits God's help to his own ideas and does not dare promise himself more than he can conceive in his mind. It's a dangerous thing to start to hope for something else, start to get in touch with that desire, start to believe that more is possible than being a cripple. But the truth is all of us are crippled, aren't we? If we can be honest. In some area of our lives, maybe in many areas of our lives, we're lying outside the pool, living as a victim or as captive to our apparent desires, sure of what we need to make our lives better, to satisfy the eternity in our hearts. Is it possible that Jesus stands with you and I today and asks us that same question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to go down the path of healing? Do you want to understand your true hunger and desire which I have placed in you? I mean, that's a serious question, y'all. It's It's serious. It's like pulling the thread on a sweater, if you understand what I'm saying. The whole thing, my whole life might come unraveled. 
all the things that I'm chasing. If I go down this road, what will happen to them? What will happen to the people that I've been chasing to meet the eternity in my heart? Well, I can tell you a few things. It will get messy. You will hurt and you will hurt people. But healing will happen eventually. And the alternative is this. Live your entire life in a lie. Lying that what you really want is unfailing love. Like Cypher and Matrix. Just give me the steak and the wine. I don't want to know the truth. Or you have to kill all of your desire. You get addicted to something that just numbs your heart to the point to where you don't have to feel the weight of it. So let me close by asking this. What would this look like in our lives to go on this journey? Because I don't anticipate you can answer this question because I'm still trying to answer it. Do I really want that in my life? Do I really want to understand my hunger? Let me just tell you a few things that I think it would look like for us to do that, to close. The first thing, or this, it's, it's really this. When I start to feel the weight of that eternity in my life, when I start to feel a desire that can, just feels like it can't be satisfied, I let that desire bring me to the Lord. I use it like a bridge, as an opportunity to engage Him. I don't kill it. I don't distract it with something else. I bring it to Him. And I say, what is this all about? Like, what if the man at the well would have responded this way? What if he would have said, I don't know. Do I want to be healed? Now think about that for a second. What if he would have said that to Jesus? If Jesus said, do you want to get well? And he says, gee, I don't know. I think. But maybe not. Because there's a lot of other things that would change if that changed. Use your desire to move inward instead of searching outward. When you feel it, turn to him. Acknowledge what you feel. Don't kill it. Feel it to the full. To the degree that you can understand it, put words to it. Stop. Take it to God and let him teach you about it. Rather than aiming it at the first thing that makes your senses tingle. Oh, it must be that. And here are just three very practical ways that you can do that. First is prayer. He has given you and I, if you are in Christ this morning, the Holy Spirit. John 14, 25 through 27. Write that down and go look at it. He says, John 14, 25 through 27. He says that he will give us the Spirit and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that that I've said to you. This is the beauty of going on this journey. This guy got healed and left, and Jesus and he kind of went different ways. Jesus steps into our lives, and he doesn't just heal us, he goes with us. He says it's good that I'm going to the Father so the Holy Spirit can come to you and teach you everything about your heart. <laughs> See the gift that we have? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So we have prayer, we have the word, that passage we read in Isaiah 55, if you continue on, it says this, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. 
it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. Prayer, the Holy Spirit, and the Word, these two things act as guides for our emotions, for what we really feel, for our desire. Teaches us about what they really are about, for the purpose for which they exist. And then the last thing is godly counsel. And when I say godly counsel, it needs to be somebody who does the first two things I just listed. Someone who is in the word and somebody who has the Holy Spirit inside of them. Ecclesiastes 12, 11 through 12, the words of the wise, these are talking about human beings now. They're like goads, which are things that sheep need to direct them in a the direction. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Prayer, the word, godly counsel. Do you want to get well? Do you want to understand the depth of your desire? Do we want to just keep living in a crippled state of our desire? Assigning it to objects that God has given us to enjoy as foretaste but cannot bear the weight of eternal desire for union with him. What are you hungry for? Are you sure it's what you think it's all about? Let's pray. Lord, we are in need of you to teach us all this stuff, of what our desire is all about. If we're honest, Lord, many of us just, I don't want to get well. I don't want to know. <laughs> don't show me that my hunger is about more than I even feel already because what I feel already feels like my heart could break at any moment. <laughs> But Father, I just pray for your grace on, on all of us, Lord, uh, that you would, be, you would be good. Lord, you healed the man even though he didn't answer your question, and that's how committed you are to us. You're so committed to us, Lord, that you are going to teach us about our desires, whether that's what we want or not, because you've created us for yourself, Lord. So Lord, free our hearts and our minds. Give us the courage to go down the, the road of, of really seriously asking this, this question. Lord, I know um, that your word tells us you'll be faithful to meet us in that place. We love you in your name. Amen.